When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the season preview edition of Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Tim Bielek, Bill Landis, your Cleveland.com Ohio State coverage team, and we are here to preview the 2017 Ohio State football Buckeyes. We just did a JT Barrett podcast as part of JT Barrett Week. Make sure you go back and listen to that. But we're squeezing in two podcasts this week because some of you love us and you can't get enough of us. But also... Talking to you, Chase Richardson. G. Nilly. Who else? Uh, yeah, G. Nilly wants us to do two a week all the time. Yeah. Um, but listen, we, we want to do a lot because, can I be straight? Mm-hmm. Talking is easier than writing. That's facts. I mean, Frank, I mean, talking is writing without the thinking. Here I just, I literally burped last podcast. That's basically <laughs> what I'm doing for an hour is mental burping into a microphone. So we're going to preview the 2017 Buckeyes. You can catch us on iTunes and all the other lists. List the things quick, Lando. Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud, um, Google Play. We got negged on Spotify. Tune in, negged on Spotify. I'm going to be completely honest. I didn't hear the beginning of your question. I just heard list, and I, that's the mode I go into. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, could have told me, yeah, yeah you could have told me to list anything, and that's where I'm going. Is Overcast a thing? Someone tweeted. So yeah, so I don't know what that is. I think maybe it's it's an app that you can download to, but it's it's not something that I upload Buckeye Talk to, so I'm not super familiar with it. But I I think I've heard a couple couple people say they use Overcast to listen to Buckeye Talk. Well, if you're listening on Overcast, what's up, people? Yeah. Thanks for listening. Shout out. So we are going to talk through this entire season. We're going to do season predictions at some point next week where we nail down the record we think the Buckeyes will have this year. We uh, are going to have our college football playoff predictions. So we'll get into that. We may get into our actual predictions, but we just want to sort of talk out this team from top to bottom. So we're going to run through all 85 scholarship players. Landis knows them off the top of his head. And we just want to talk out how we think this season is going to go, how we're thinking about various position groups, how we're thinking about various issues, various games. Um, I think you'll like it. So the the thing that I want to start off with is I hadn't thought about how I want to start off. I just realized that. Hmm. We don't have an outline, but usually I have an idea. So let me start here. We'll sort of work our way through this, but we don't exactly want to go chronological because nobody wants to spend 15 minutes on Rutgers. I do. Do, so does Chris Ash, but <laughs> just because Chris Ash wants something doesn't mean he's going to get it. Let me ask this real quick. What do you guys think of NJ.com, our partners in the Advanced Brotherhood? They're part of the same company as us. Putting in an open records request for Michigan's roster. 
Love it. Was that a baller move? Love it. Or was it uh, was it like ah uh, media? I mean, probably both, but I like it because I'm part of the media. I think it's weird that they even had to put that in in the middle of August. I mean, when did Ohio State have its roster up on its website? Like mid end of July, like every day of yeah, the year, for perpetuity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, but they have it up. Well, they have it up. They have it up for, for, for spring football to some degree. Yeah, they update it quickly. Yeah. So I don't know. Harbaugh's a weirdo, man. But And they were making a good point in there. So if you guys don't know, NJ.com put in an open records request, wrote a story about it. That I think they were saying they were trying to just do a story about all the New Jersey kids who were like playing in the Big Ten. And they couldn't figure out if a kid was on a Michigan roster or not because Michigan does not have a roster. We know there's depth chart issues with Michigan. I didn't know they literally didn't have an updated yeah, roster. That they either. had like NFL guys still listed on their roster because they haven't updated it since the draft. The lead to, an, uh, I forget if it was Ryan Dunleavy or Keith Sargent who wrote it. But his, I think his lead was something like Michigan has 11 millionaires on its roster. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, whoa, what's this? If you're gonna play that game, you know who I would put on the Michigan roster? Tom Brady, Charles Woodson. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> oh man, they look look pretty sharp at quarterback. I heard yeah. that Brady guy might be good. <laughs> um, Tom Harmon might win the Heisman. Yeah. 50 years ago. Yeah. So uh, baller move by NJ.com. Shout out to them. But let's talk about the Buckeyes. Let's talk about Thursday night in Indiana, and. We were talking about this this week because it was one of my greatest predictions in that it was still wrong, as many of my predictions are. Almost all of my predictions are wrong. But in 2015, last time Ohio State went to Indiana, I picked Indiana to win that game, and Indiana threw a pass into the end zone on the last play of the game. They hit a receiver in the hands. Is this a game and I don't – now i got to double-check this. And, again, this is a nice thing about a podcast. I can just blurt this out mm-hmm. or burp it out. And I don't have to look up facts because I'm not beholden to anything. I can't get sued for things I say in a podcast, can I? No. No, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. See, you're my lawyer. Yeah. You just said I can't get sued. Yeah, I've seen Law and Order. Someone emailed me and said that the way they are looking at the over-unders and, like, the betting line for, Ohio, for that Ohio State game – he said Vegas thinks Ohio State's going to score 35 points in that game, which is not a ton of points. And so no. he was curious about that. So let's talk about whether that is a game. A game like a game like the last two times they went to Bloomington, they had some issues. Maybe not touchdown pass thrown in, maybe not passing to the end zone on the last play, but they had a game there I guess it was Urban Meyer's first year. Did they play in Ohio Stadium twice in a row? There was a game there where, like, uh, they did some onside kicks and stuff at the end, and Indiana rallied and was back with, like, in a touchdown in the final 90 seconds. Like, scare you. Yeah. Do Ohio I, State fans be scared at some point Thursday night? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I don't think Ohio State's going to win, like, 50-3. to three. Um, But I think you're going to have a, a fairly comfortable multiple touchdown win that you don't at any point think that Ohio State's going to lose. Um, I think Indiana's defense is actually pretty good, and their secondary in particular is good, and it'll be interesting. It's it's like a legitimate good test for this revamped passing attack that we're hoping to see. Um, but I think a lot of the Indiana magic that happened against Ohio State, even if they didn't lead the wins, had a lot to do with Kevin Wilson and his ability to scheme teams up and draw up a good game plan and I don't know how good of a coach Tom Allen is, but he's not Kevin Wilson, and he's not scheming up an offense. He's coaching a defense, and I don't think Indiana has the horses to make to to scare Ohio State. And what's the one constant in the last five, six Ohio State Indiana matches where it seems like Indiana Football. has found a way 
speak about. Well, football's one of them. I mean, Crimson and Cream. Yep. Maybe that's another. Kevin Wilson, he's not in Indiana anymore. That kryptonite is no longer there. So maybe that's something Ohio State fans can take a little comfort in in thinking that that game might not be as scary as it has been. But I'm with you. I don't think it's going to blow off for the for the reason I think that is the biggest question mark in my mind for Ohio State is who's who are the playmakers on the offense? There think, really aren't any established yeah. and guys. They've, and they've had – I just realized we don't have our Phil Steele magazine in front of us. No, that's right. What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> Indiana's had playmakers. I mean, like when you yeah. run through – Guys that Indiana has put on the field. And that's what happens with the teams that scare Ohio State. The Big Ten teams that scare Ohio State. They never have enough offensive linemen to really compete. They never have enough defensive linemen to really compete. What they have is a dude here or there that when he gets the ball in his hands, he can do something crazy and he can scare you. And Tevin Coleman was that. Jordan Howard, we've seen what he's doing in the NFL. Who's, Shane Wynn yeah. was a little receiver from Glenville who was scary with the ball in his hands. Don't they have a guy? Who's the receiver they have that was hurt last year that's so, back? Simi Cobbs. Simi? Is he not going to be a guy a little bit? No, I think he's a guy. And they I have think, a couple I receivers. Think Richard Lego's a different or a decent quarterback, I think. I, Against a young Ohio State secondary? I, I mean, I'm, I don't, again, I don't think it, I, th- I don't think the Ohio State's going to go out and, and smoke them. I just think uh, – I think maybe – and maybe this this – constitutes being a quote-unquote game that if like in the first quarter indiana moves the ball maybe scores a touchdown at the end of the first quarter at seven seven i don't know is that a game no it's a game my, my definition of a game is midway through the third quarter it's within a score i don't think that i think even if ohio state has some stuff to iron out they get an ironed out by the second quarter like how about uh ohio state's up 21 7 at the half uh ohio state comes out <laughs> what about this? this we're gonna play this yeah. game i'm gonna make up <laughs> scenarios for all 12 regular season games <laughs> 21-7, Ohio State comes out, goes three and out in the first series. Indiana gets a nice return on the punt, has a 41-yard touchdown drive, and it's 21-14 with eight minutes and 13 seconds left in the third quarter, and Ohio State's getting the ball back. That's a little scary. I think Depending that's on, on the what table. what happens on that drive, yeah. I think yeah. that's on the table. And then, like, the kind of situation, and as anyone who listens to this podcast knows, I don't like talking about blessings in disguise. I don't believe in them. I think a blessing is in disguise is a way for you to excuse the team you cover for playing poorly and acting like bad things are actually good because you don't know how to do anything but write or talk about good things. So I don't believe in that, but it would be interesting to see this offense pressed into a position like that where, Hey, you're getting the ball back. You're only up by a score. If you don't put some kind of drive together here, this is a game again. I would be very curious to see Kevin Wilson in that situation, JT Barrett in that situation. When you throw a pass on second and five, is the guy going to catch the ball? Is the guy going to run the route to get open? I would like to see this offense under pressure in the opener, and I think we will see this offense under pressure in the opener in terms of those kind of situations. And when you look at the op- the recent history of openers, I mean, you, got, you guys kind of touched on it. This isn't necessarily a cakewalk. I mean, when you look at recent openers... crazy. Compared to... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, 2014, they went had that neutral slate game with Navy with Keenan Reynolds, who obviously... Tremendous option quarterback. That was a challenge. Yep. Mm-hmm. Twenty fifteen, they went to Virginia Tech. I mean, that was a challenge. Or I think they were trailing in halftime or something like that. Last year, aside Bowling Green, we all know what happened. But this would be the third time in four years that you know 
you're not going to have a cakewalk. You're going to have to battle a little bit. And for a team that has to find some playmakers, and the only way you're going to find them is through game action, same way we found Draymond Jones and Jerome Baker a year ago, the only way you're going to find them is that if you're tested in an important situation, that's where you're going to find those guys. What better way than game one? All right, so let me ask this question as we just meander all over the place here. Mm -hmm. 6.41 left in the third quarter. Third and six <laughs> from their own 31-yard line. <laughs> Kevin Wilson draws up a play. And I understand there's multiple there's options on every play. You have to do what the defense gives you. I get it. Who does Kevin Wilson want the ball thrown to in that situation? Who is the first option on third and six from your own whatever I said in the middle of the third quarter of a close game? Uh, Paris Campbell. Whoever's in the slot. If we're going by what Ryan Tunnel screen, calling it right now, eight yards first down. Sorry. If, if we're going by <laughs> what if, if we're going by what Ryan Day has told JT Barrett, trust your receivers, give them fifty fifty balls. Why not Ben Victor? He's he's arguably your best athlete or receiver. He can go up and get a ball. Give him a chance, especially if he's got a good matchup against a shorter corner. I mean, we saw it in his one catch in the Fiesta Bowl is probably Ohio State's best passing play for the last couple weeks of the season. Yeah, that was a nice route, nice catch, nice throw. That, that looked that, good. Looked professional. That scenario you're describing, though, is like we did it. We did our JT Barrett podcast, and we talked about how we want to see the first half of Indiana. Yeah. To know, like that scenario in which in the last two years the call is JT run the ball. Yep. That's going to be the tell. I think. Like, Can I ask a question real quick? Are we doing a quarterback draw tracker this year or not? <laughs> yeah, let's do one. Okay, we'll, yeah. we'll fight for that yeah. later. Um, I think, and here's the thing, and I say this, I say this about everything. I think it's not an obvious answer as we sit here today. To me, it's not. Maybe it is to Ryan Day and, and Zach Smith and Kevin Wilson and JT Barrett. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is, and we don't exactly know that yet. I think Paris Campbell's probably the leading contender. I think Ben Victor is an interesting option. I think Terry McLaurin's an interesting option. I think who the guy in the game at tight end is an interesting option. I would like it better as a team if I knew who it was. I, it's lovely to have depth. What was the answer to that question in 2014? Devin Smith. Okay. Michael um, Thomas was a really good 1A. Depended what you needed, but either of those. And again, I mean, that's a hard thing. It's like you go backwards with Michael Thomas. Like, oh, Michael Thomas was always awesome. Michael Thomas redshirted in the middle of his career, and people didn't know exactly what he was going to be. Yeah. Um, but uh, so maybe, but someone's got to show me that. Someone's got to show me that. Um, and I'm interested to see it. So I don't know. Like that's, but that's part of why I think that could be interesting against Indiana because, you know, if you say, okay, if, if – and again, this team, there's a lot of things where you don't know things because of depth. They have some depth that's so good you don't know the answer. They have some depth that's so iffy you don't know the answer. But if it's third and six and Indiana has the ball and Indiana needs to make a first down and I said – Who's the Ohio State defensive player that makes the play on third and six to stop Indiana? And, I, of course, that's an imaginary question because right. what's the play call? And what, who would you say, I, I trust this defender to make a play in a big situation? Jerome Baker. Jerome Baker. But you could also say, would you say Denzel Ward? Yeah, there's multiple Would you guys. say yeah. Chris yeah, there, Worley? There's probably four Would you four say five literally guys. five defensive linemen? Yeah. Again, yeah. and we talked about this in the spring, most dangerous Buckeye, I think, is what we were talking mm -hmm. about then, right? I think I'd come up with seven defenders. Here are the people I would name before I'd name anybody on offense. 
Denzel Ward, all three linebackers, and five defensive linemen. Mm-hmm. That's nine guys. Before I get to anybody on offense who in the same situation I'd say, I trust this guy to do it. Yeah. That's a thing. No, I think that's a thing. And that's and that's like to I guess to, to hammer home the point on the opener. Again, I don't think it's I don't think it's a game where Ohio State's going to sweat, but Indiana is good enough to put Ohio State in the situations where we're gonna learn things about this team in the first half of the first game. Unlike last year where Bowling Green lied to us. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it's it's interesting and exciting. Indiana is good enough to make Ohio State pay attention, especially with Oklahoma looming, because there's always the myth, that, myth of the trap game. Indiana will make them pay attention. I think they will. Yeah, I think they will. I think, and I think that's going to be good for us because, as you said, sometimes the games lie to you. I don't think the Indiana game is going to lie to no, us. No, I don't think no. so either. I think if if Ohio State struggles, there are going to be legit questions there. And if Ohio State looks good, you can say, okay, that's a good sign. That's mm-hmm. not just a bad opponent because. I think Indiana, at the very least, is a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team at night on the road in the opener. That's a thing. It makes me, now I'm just thinking about the 2015 opener at Virginia Tech that Tim mentioned, and they were losing at halftime, but they ended up winning 42-24, to and then were not very good against like Northern Illinois, Western Michigan, and Hawaii. Yep. That game led to us a little bit, too. And that was, a decent, that was a decent opening opponent on the road. Yeah. I hope the quarterback situation doesn't end up like, but yeah. yeah. They also got thrown off really bad by playing on that Monday. Yeah. Whereas here they're going to, instead of short time, they're going to have extra time to prep. Yeah. So let's move on to Oklahoma. I think they could lose. Could lose? Yeah. I think they could, yeah, lose. I think they could lose. I think they could lose. And I, I, and, but I, I say that like, here's how I say that. I'm not saying that like, oh, I think they could lose. I'm saying... Like you want to pick them. Away. I think yeah. <laughs> they could lose. So I want to see what Oklahoma now. Oklahoma plays UTEP. I think that game could lie to us. Yeah. But I don't know much about. We know that they've they've lost playmakers uh, to the NFL. They've lost playmakers to injury. Um, but I just, to me, it is a game that, as much as this season is a test of JT Barrett and what JT Barrett is and can be. That Ohio State game, I think, is determines what Baker Mayfield is. Are you a real dude, or are you just a guy who could put up some big numbers, again, in the past happy uh, Big 12 where nobody plays any defense, but when the chips were down, brother, like, it really wasn't there for you. Yeah. And Lincoln Riley, are you part of this wave of young genius offensive minds that started off as offensive coordinators and are now sweeping into head coaching jobs like Tom Herman, uh, like Chad Morris, but you got it at Oklahoma. Are you that? Or are you just some guy who had to take over because a legend retired and you're not really ready for it? And I think it's possible that Baker Mayfield is a real dude and Lincoln Riley is a real coach. And this is the game where they show it. And as I've said, I think on this podcast before, I think maybe they've been meeting at 3 o'clock in the morning every night since Bob Stoops retired to get ready for this game because it is so gigantic, I think, in terms of – and they don't care about the rest of the Big 12, but the Big 12 needs to beat somebody. Mm -hmm. The Big 12 needs to prove to the committee that it belongs in that discussion and it's not going to be the the conference that's going to get left out all the time. And Oklahoma cares about that selfishly because Oklahoma is and should be the best program in the Big 12. This is their season. This is, here's what's not going to be a great season for Oklahoma. 
get waxed by Ohio State and run the table in the Big 12. I don't think that that's good enough for them because that might not get them in the playoff. So they've got to do something. They at least have to compete in Columbus better than they competed last year in their own place. But I think they have to come out with an absolute game plan that Ohio State is not expecting and take a shot that I think they could win. I really think they could win. I think they can win. Yeah, I, I don't think it's crazy to say that Oklahoma can win. Oklahoma, what are they in the AP poll? Five? Five, I think. Yeah, and that, like the AP poll doesn't mean much, but I mean, they have maybe the best quarterback in the country, and that's not an NFL prospect. That's just playmaker at the college level. Baker Mayfield's among the best in the country. Um, they have—I don't know who their running back's going to be. I don't, I don't know who their primary running back's going to be or their their go-to receivers. But they have a good offensive line, and you have Baker Mayfield, and that's a pretty good place to start. I think their defense is better than people give it credit for because they are in the Big Twelve. They're like one decent corner away from playing a game with Ohio State last year, um, and I think people forget too. Like that was. How long was that delay before the game? It was like a weird kind of night, yeah. I thought. And it was a very weird. That's night. not that's like not to give Oklahoma excuses because they didn't get the job done at at home. But it was a, it was a weird night. We were sitting around for like it was an hour and a half waiting for that game to start, and I thought the air got taken out of the the, the stadium a little bit. Um, I agree with you. The premise you've said all along that home field in Ohio Stadium and a game like that doesn't matter. I think it's even. It's talent versus talent, and Ohio State on paper probably has more. Um, the preparation is a sticking point for me. And I've said this before on the podcast, that it's the, it's the inverse of what Ohio State had last year. They basically didn't have an opponent before they played Oklahoma and were able to prepare for Oklahoma as long as they wanted to. Starting in April, if they wanted to prepare for Oklahoma, they could have. And that's the position Oklahoma is in now. They play UTEP, doesn't matter. They can throw their third team out there and they'll win by 40. They've been thinking about this Ohio State game since last season ended. Like that, This is not a team that's going to come into Ohio Stadium and be surprised by anything, be caught off guard by anything Ohio State has to play. I think it's absolute best to beat Oklahoma, which means Oklahoma can win. As opposed to last year when Oklahoma opened with Houston, which everybody knew was good, and lost to Houston. Yeah. yeah. Samaj P. Ryan is gone. Joe Mixon, gone. Out of here. D.D. Westbrook, Out of here. gone. Lincoln Riley, his second game as a head coach, is going to be in a stadium with 108,000 people going nuts. And, I mean, he's obviously an extremely talented offensive mind. He wouldn't have been promoted to head coach if he wasn't. And Well, he might have been because they were desperate. Yeah, they needed someone. <laughs> right, yeah. The, the timing, they didn't exactly do a national search for that job. Right, but the, yeah. The timing of that obviously was a little weird because that's like early in summer when Bob Stoops decides he wants to, to step down and then Lincoln Riley comes up. And, I mean, Oklahoma, the way they finished the season – after those two losses, was pretty impressive. They come back, win the Big 12. They beat Auburn in the Sugar Bowl, I believe. And they finished the season better than Ohio State did. Mm -hmm. Yes. Them and Penn State, which we'll obviously get to a lot later on. But it, you, you're right. They could win. There's no question about it. They got talent across the board. They're as talented as anybody. But it's missing those playmakers that puts them on maybe that offense, maybe on a level playing field. And I say that, although I think Baker Mayfield is a better playmaker than JT Barrett, I just feel like Ohio State has a few more knowns on the, the offense. We know Mike Weber is at least a solid running back. He'll get you some yards. We know they at least have a couple guys that can have an impact. We're not going to know who those impact players are, but I think Ohio State has more impact players on defense that cause Baker Mayfield problems that I think 
have the ability to do it again. They're deeper on the defensive line than they were a year ago. They're better up in that front seven, I think, than a year ago, barring, of course, you know, a rash of injuries between now and the Oklahoma game, of course. But I think it's close, but I, but I just think that that much inexperience for Oklahoma going on the road – like Ohio State had last State year, when they were year. the least experienced team in the country and went on the road and won. Fair, yes. Um, again, they could lose, but... But you're optimistic, Tim. Yeah. Tim they could lose, optimistic. but you're Mr. Optimistic. To French be honest, we need French a little fry. optimism on this podcast, so I'm glad uh, you're French here. French fry <laughs> box half full optimism. <laughs> yeah. I want French fries now. But listen, listen, listen. Most people would think Ohio State's going to win that game. And, and, and I think, I, I don't know. I mean, with all three of us, very well, I end up picking Ohio State to win that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are, so this is the season preview. We're going to do our, our records again before the season and everything, because that's what people do. I just find it very hard to get a read on this team, because so much comes down to the one thing that was the glaring hole last year. We all know the defensive line is going to be good. We all know that the linebackers are going to be good. I think there's a reason to have a belief that the secondary will replace people and be fine. But I need to see the offense. I need to see it because they don't let us watch practice, and I don't just believe them. All we have, this happened the other day, just because a coach says something doesn't mean it's true. Urban Meyer is a straight shooter. He does not beat around the bush with us most of the time. I do not think it was on the table for him this spring or this preseason to come in and say things to us like, well, the receivers still stink. <laughs> well, remember how the offensive line had trouble blocking people last year at times? Same. Yeah. Not on the table. So if Urban Meyer was ever going to blow smoke about his team, I think it would be those two position groups in this moment because of how last year went down and because of how everything was covered and everybody knowing what the deal is. And also, nobody is also going to say, JT Barrett looks the same. Yeah. Remember how he double pumped all the time? Instead of pumping twice, he's pumping four times in practice now. <laughs> so, you know, they're not, I don't think they're coming out and like having a conspiracy and saying like, guys, guys, if they ask about the receivers, say the passing game's going really well. Don't tell them that we can't catch anything. I don't think that's what's happening. But, just to be fair, and I'm not, you know, I don't believe them. I, I, like, I, I healthy think amount of, of skepticism is good. So, so let me do this, and I don't because I don't want to run through the whole schedule. I now want to run through some position groups. You want to talk? You want to talk UNLV? They play UNLV. They do. Is yeah. that this year? Is that would, a, I think honestly, if they played Bishop Gorman, it might be a better game. <laughs> um, if it was at UNLV, it would be a much better game. Yeah, I've never been to Vegas. Um. Seriously, they've played UNLV and Hawaii mm-hmm. in the last couple of years, both in Columbus. Got to go to Blacksburg, though. That's nice. Not quite Honolulu, though. No, it, it is, it's the Honolulu of, the, of Appalachia, yeah, is exactly. what I've heard that <laughs> Roanoke referred to. Um, I want to run through, let's run through some offensive position groups, and I'm going to get a vibe on how you guys think you're feeling about them. And again, we're basing this on nothing. Just what <laughs> they tell us, <laughs> which is the we truth. We don't get to see anything. Let's start with the offensive line because Bill is uh, six foot five. Mm-hmm. Four starters back. The right guard spot I don't think has gone as we necessarily would have predicted it. So tell us, Bill, how that sounds like, not looks like because we don't see it, see it. how it sounds like it's shaking out and what that tells us about anything. 
So Urban Meyer has a lot going on, obviously, so I never know how much to read into him leaving names off of lists when he's going through position groups. Uh, but he was talking about right guard on Monday, and I don't think he said Matt Burrell or Demetrius Knox's name, did he? I don't think he did. If he did, he definitely did not list them first. Right. Um, and to be fair, he was asked uh, specifically about Brandon Bowen at one point, but it sounds like Brandon Bowen, who was the backup tackle at both spots last year, basically the sixth offensive lineman, is going to be the starter at right guard. And if you were to handicap the field coming in the training camp, he would have been on the board. He probably would have been last. Like He might have even been behind the incoming freshman. And that's not a knock on him. It's just like he's a tackle. And he, yeah. like, they had guards on the roster who should be winning this job, and instead Brandon Bowen seems like he's the one who's taking it. It's like if it. Terry McLaurin was a starting tight end. It wouldn't yeah. mean that Terry McLaurin isn't good. It means that he's not supposed to play that position. Right. So that it sounds like Brandon Bowen's a guy. Maybe Malcolm Pridgen is, is still there, and they're fighting it out. They're going to have to make a decision like this weekend probably. Um, but if I had to guess, it's going to be Bowen starting uh, next Thursday. What does an iffy guard spot mean? Because last year they had an iffy tackle spot. And they had an okay guard spot. I don't know that we'd call the Michael Jordan spot iffy, but it wasn't great. Yeah. Right? He's a true freshman, and again, not his fault that he played as a true freshman for Ohio State, and Ohio State made the playoff. Mm-hmm. is a miracle and a credit to Michael Jordan. It is a discredit to the offensive line coaching and recruiting that did not develop older guys to be in that position. And we are seeing the exact same thing play out right now. Will they be okay? Can they be okay if right guard isn't great? Maybe as opposed to last year when right tackle wasn't great. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's it's probably a little easier to hide a, a weak guard than it is a weak tackle. Um, the tackle's on an island, and it doesn't. You could double team with Billy Price. You could double team with the tackle next to, next to the guard. And I also think that like, I think Brandon Bowen's pretty good. I, he didn't get many snaps last year, but I thought he looked fine in the snaps he got. Sort of it was garbage time, but I think the guy who is that sixth offensive tackle is is a pretty pretty good player and has been historically for Ohio State. And if Bowen was able to get that role last year as a redshirt freshman, um, I, I took that as, as something that speaks pretty highly of him. So I'm not even I don't even know if I'm assuming that right guard is a problem. And maybe I should should feel a little stronger about it. But I think Bowen will be all right. And if he's not great and needs some time to come along. I think you can work with that more so than you could work with a right tackle or a left tackle who doesn't know what he's doing. All right. He's the offensive line guy, so we don't get to talk about offensive line. That's right. I own it. I'll throw receivers at Bielik. Whether it's the older guys getting better or the younger guys getting a chance, how much are you buying in on the way they are talking about the receivers? And I'm going to throw a butt into the question and a caveat into the question Because the thing that they seem to me to praise the most about that group is the culture, which is lovely. Culture don't catch. That's good. No, it doesn't. Hashtag. So (laughs) are you believing that we have a team where the receivers can get open and catch the ball? I think you pretty much have said it about four times. We got to see it. Like, I mean, you can talk about it, but, I mean, we got to see it. I mean, the receiver position last year just was not very good. I mean, you can understand that with Devin Smith, Michael Thomas, Jalen Marshall, all gone. You know, those guys are not there anymore. And you didn't really see another one emerge because Curtis Samuel's far and away that number one option. And I mean far and away the number one like passing. nobody else even on the board, basically. No, yeah. t- when two of your top five receivers 
are actual receivers, that's not a good sign. And you move right. one of them, KJ Hill, to H back. So now you've got questions about, you know, you mentioned the young guys, and two particular, you mentioned a couple weeks ago on your receiver podcast were uh, Austin Mack and Ben Victor being your bigger guys, which I think Ohio State has, at least on paper, done a good job of getting bigger guys who could win more 50-50 balls. And then you have guys like Terry McLaurin and the guy that's popped up a little more frequently is Johnny Dixon, who have healthy, we think, can play a big role, but that phrase is coming up a lot when we talk about receivers is we think yeah, so-and-so because we don't know. There's no track record on these guys. And ideally, it's like I mentioned in the end, you hope one of these guys emerges and you hope for Ohio State's sake, Austin Mack just catches a 60-yard touchdown yeah. on like the first drive of the game. And then all of a sudden you're like, all right, maybe they got something here. We just don't know about that. The, the, here's the, the one thing that I think is very interesting is – you know, when we were talking about who's going to catch the ball on third and six in the third quarter with 641 left, you said Paris Campbell, Bill, and I think that's a very logical answer. Is there any way that Paris Campbell is going to be as good as Curtis Samuel, though? Like, I feel like no matter how good Paris Campbell is, they're not going to be quite as good at H-back. I don't want to sound like uh, stupid, stupid Homer. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Mr. Optimism? Listen, no. we already have one optimistic guy on this podcast, Bill. We don't need to. I don't know. I just, like, I don't want to say definitively, like, there's no way Paris Campbell will be as good as Curtis Samuel. I think he's going to catch 65 passes next year and rush for, like, 950 yards, which, like, I don't think it's going to happen, but it's not impossible that it happens. No, I don't think Paris Campbell is going to be as good as Curtis Samuel. Um, where did Curtis Samuel catch? 70 72. 72 balls last year. He rushed for almost 1,000 yards, right? Um, miracle season. It was a miracle. Second best season of an Urban Meyer player outside the quarterback, like outside of Zeke Elliott, right? Yeah, yeah, not even close. Um, no, no, no. I don't. I don't think Paris Campbell individually will do what Curtis Samuel did last year. I think maybe collectively with Campbell and KJ Hill and Demario McCall, they can come close to matching that production. Really? Yeah, I think so. I think there's a good mix there. Yeah, and I look at the H-back. I know, obviously, suffer from receiver. The three guys that seem like they're getting mentioned for that spot, Paris, Gable, Paris Campbell, K.J. Hill, Demario McCall. You have McCall converted running back to H-back. Hill converted receiver to H-back, and Campbell's been pl- sort of dabbling in both. I mean, Campbell's going to H-back get... is a receiver. I think we right. just, like, H-back is not a set... H-back is slot receiver. But he sometimes runs it. But, yeah, if it's the right guy. Runs it on, like, a jet sweep. If he's in the backfield, he's just a tailback. He's just a guy who plays two positions. Right. Yes. And Samuel did a lot of both. I mean, he was in the backfield a lot last season. I mean, he's a miracle. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was a Especially, la- like, he was last year. What would last year have looked like if Curtis Samuel decided, I'm tired of being sucked behind Zeke Elliott, I'm going to transfer oh. He was their best wherever. receiver and their best running back. Yeah. yeah. 171 touches, almost 10, like, nine and a half yards a touch. And weren't we yelling? I can't remember what we write. Did we? Were we yelling all year about Curtis Samuel needs to get the ball more? Yes. Yeah, that was a thing, right? Yeah. We yeah. do that sometimes. Yes, we get yeah, stuck yeah. on things. Yeah. But usually we're right. We um, weren't wrong about that. No, we weren't wrong. And you also wrote that he's our Heisman candidate in oh, yeah. week three. Until they tried to force the ball to him against Clemson and then they didn't score. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, so, I, I mean, I guess it's okay. I mean, Paris Campbell's a really good athlete, right? Paris Campbell's a really good athlete. Yes. You guys both saw him in high school, didn't you? Incredible running back in high school. Yeah, yeah. A- absolute speed demon, like super fast. Okay. 
faster than Samuel, maybe. At least from what I remember of him in high school. He was up there on their board. I know Samuel ran a four three one at the combine. Yeah. I think he's I think Campbell's in that high four two range at Ohio State. I don't know if Campbell run a four three one at the combine. That's pretty fast by Curtis. He's got legitimate track speed. Like he's a state he's a state level sprinter. Okay. So you're feeling so you guys feel decent about H back? I feel pretty good about H back. I feel I feel much better about H back than I do about the out, two outside receiver positions. You feel good, Tim? I'll feel confident when I see it because I feel confident that at least one will emerge. Okay. Not sure who it's going to be, whether it's Campbell, whether it's Hill, whether it's McCall, who I think, you know, a lot of people loved as a freshman and he got a lot of chances. And people around here know who he is more, more so than even like Hill or Campbell. But someone's going to emerge out of that group. I'm confident someone will. It's just a question of who it's going to be. That's not a question. It's Paris, baby. Yeah. Okay, then. You weren't around in the spring. They said in the spring, Paris Campbell is our H-back, and he's going to get the ball like 50 times a game. Yep. I mean, like, they are in love with Paris Campbell right now, to be fair. He's good. I think he's... We like DeMario. Do we not like DeMario? <sighs> but... I like DeMario. I like... Paris Campbell, in my opinion, has been played out of position for, I guess, three years, if you include his red chair year. He's finally where he's supposed to be. Yeah. Is that a headline for a story you're writing? Yeah, just pocket He's that. hardly where he's supposed yeah. to be. Uh, tight end, does tight end matter? I, uh, only in the sense that I don't know who the tight ends are. <laughs> um, we actually, to be fair, we have not talked to the tight ends. It's the only position group we didn't talk to during all preseason camp. Let's run down the tight ends quickly. Marcus Baugh, who's been hurt, correct? He's recovering from surgery. I, I don't want to say what because I forget what the injury was. Rashad Berry, who's a converted defensive end, who... Tim, can you give us like a 30-second breakdown of Rashad Berry's athletic skills? Well, for anybody from Lorain County who's listening to this podcast that watch basketball, you know like, you know exactly who Rashad Berry is without me even telling you. I mean, he's, his athleticism I can best describe it in basketball terms because, let's be real, everybody knows the history of basketball players who have been converted to tight ends. I'm not saying Rashad Berry is the next Jimmy Graham or Tony Gonzalez or Antonio Gates. I am yes, not saying that whatsoever. <laughs> But I'm just saying, you Tim want... Tim Bielek says Rashad Berry is a Hall of Fame tight end. Okay. And <laughs> in a situation where we talked... When we talked to Ryan Day and we talked to JT Barrett, talking about how JT Barrett needs to throw receivers open, trust his receivers more, what's a better option in the red zone than maybe having a six four six five guy who you tell him, just box out your defender, go get this jump ball. Yeah. And, you know, I've watched, I admittedly watched him a lot more playing basketball than football, but... He can go up there and get it. Okay. I don't think there's any question about that in my mind, that if it's a one-on-one situation, he's got a size advantage, that ball is his. He's the best athlete at tight end room. Yes. And we've been waiting. I mean, like, you know, Jake Houseman and Luke Farrell were two big recruits, mm-hmm. um, and they'll get their chance. They'll, they'll but yeah. but they're, only, they're only redshirt freshmen this year. and so. But if Barry's taking the number two spot, and Urban Meyer was very complimentary of Barry, then that means that those two guys – haven't seized the number two spot, and it was there for the taking after AJ Alexander got hurt. So, yeah, that's the thing is like I don't, I don't, I have no idea. I have no read whatsoever in the tight end position. I don't know if Ball is healthy enough to play against Indiana. I don't know. I think Barry's number two. I don't know if he's number two. Urban he, said it basically, didn't he? Kind of. Like he said, he's going to play. Like I don't know what that means. Urban says everyone's going to play. Yeah, so he's going to call his parents and they're going to play. Yeah. So do we pencil in Rashad Barry for a six-yard touchdown against Indiana? I don't Pro- know. Probably. Probably. <laughs> 
outrageous <laughs> prediction. Yeah. Felix on board. Six-yard touchdown pass by Rashad Berry. Um, Can I get super specific with my outrageous prediction and say Paris Campbell will clutch an eight-yard tunnel screen on third and six from the 31-yard line in the third quarter? I think that's where we're going with outrageous yeah. predictions this year. Uh, what yard line? <laughs> yeah. What time on the clock? Yeah. What side of the field? Yeah. Oh, I didn't, I didn't pick what side. The yeah. wind blowing which yeah. direction? Um, okay, let's talk. Let's get to the guy that I really want to talk about. Can I guess? It is very interesting. Blake Hobbio? Yeah. I was going to say Drew Chrisman. That's my guy back off. Liam McCullough. <laughs> offensive line of, <laughs> offensive line of punters in my bag, Bielik. Yeah. But are you, do you like all punters or only punters from Australia? Yeah, Drew Chrisman's got, got uh, big shoes to fill. We'll see. I've never talked to him before. We'll see. If he punts rugby style, but he's still from Cincinnati, are you okay with that? Or do you want someone with an accent? I would prefer the accent, but I will take the rugby style punting. Okay. Yeah. Um, J.K. Dobbins. J.K. I'm going to start saying, can I call J.K. Dobbins Superman? Since my Superman thing didn't actually yeah, work out. So. J.K. Dobbins. We get a question about him, too. About J.K.? Yeah. All right, let's work it in. Let's have some seamless. Well, the question is a question that Doug and I talked about on a. Uh, Buckwise video that I think will be up before you're able to listen to this podcast. Unless you delete it. Unless you, yeah. Unless I delete the video, which happened once before. The question was from <laughs> Dr. Mantis Toboggan. <laughs> Great name. <laughs> Such a good name. Uh, do you think J.K. Dobbins has any chance of becoming the number one running back this year? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Like, I, my, my the, the chance grows better by the day the more I think about it. Last week, I thought it was an absurd question. We've recorded the video yesterday, and I said yes, and I feel stronger in that yes today. Yeah, yeah. you slept on it. Every yeah. time I hear the name J.K. Dobbins, I add five yards to his amount of I also ca- think that Ohio State is catching a little bit of the outside J.K. Dobbins talk and about how he might be the starter. So they put out a video on Twitter of Mike Weber rehabbing yesterday. Uh, and they did that to make Mike Weber happy. Yeah, yeah, and like remind everyone. Because Mike Weber's catching it too. Yeah, because you it, it's not like Mike Weber's not going to play. No, you need yeah, good, healthy, yeah. in a good mood Mike Weber, who's I've like said, not being passed by a true freshman. I've said this before in the past when Kevin Wilson's had two tailbacks, he's used them both. Yeah, and I think, but I think we're, I think I'm on board with that being there. Listen, it is the way they talk about J.K. Dobbins. It is the way they all talk about J.K. Dobbins, and it is the combination. When I talk to his high school coach, this is why I think it's different. And I know some people think that we all can sometimes get wrapped up in the true freshman hype, especially true freshman playmaker hype. But they like him as an athlete and they like him as a person. And now even back going back a little bit, they joke a little bit about like when Mike Weber was a true freshman, I think maybe his head wasn't exactly in the right place and he's come a long way and that kind of stuff, which is very normal. That is not any kind of criticism of Mike Weber. It is it is hard to come to college in a place like this from a high school where you were the man and come in and want to play and have to figure out how you can be confident but fit into the culture and all that kind of stuff. I'm just telling you right now, the way they talk about J.K. Dobbins, they like him as a person, they like him as a worker, and they like him as an athlete. And I think when you like all that, that's when you have something. And there's opportunity here. I think they like Chase Young the same way. Chase Young has four All-Americans on his, in front of him at his position. Mike Weber is good. No offense. Mike Weber has not been great. Mike Weber, in the last two games last season, averaged 25 yards per game. Mm-hmm. Had five carries against Clemson. That's not a number one tailback. So it's like we can talk about Mike Weber as the returning starter. 
We can talk about Mike Weber as the number one tailback. He did have 1,000 yards last year. A number one tailback does not have five carries in a playoff game. Yeah. So there was something at the end of last season where either the play calling was terrible, which is probably true, or something happened, they got away from something, or he wasn't as good, or he wore down, or whatever. But I think it is fair to talk about this in a way. This is not Ezekiel Elliott coming back. And it's not, it's, but it's not maybe even. Com- maybe coming in, though. But and it's not. But it's not even. It's just. It's not even normal returning number one tailback X coming back. Yeah. Because normal returning number one tailback X would have had fourteen carries against Clemson. He also did nothing against Michigan. I think he had eleven carries for twenty four yards against Michigan. Because mm-hmm. Curtis Sam and they won the game because in overtime they said I don't know give it to Curtis Samuel and see if he can run in a circle, and he did. Mike Weber didn't. And that's, again, I'm not trying to be critical of Mike Weber. I'm just trying to give you a peek at why we are talking about J.K. Dobbins this way. And why, because it's it's the combination of player and opportunity. And we're telling you, nobody lets our eyeballs see anything. We haven't seen squat. The way they talk about J.K. Dobbins is different. And the opportunity to supplant a starter is different. They're not in the business of starters not starting. But Mike Weber kind of didn't start in the second half of yeah, last by season. The end of the year. And we don't want you to forget that. So it's like he was a starting tailback. He shared the tailback spot last year with the guy who was the best player on the team. So for Mike Weber to share the number one tailback spot this year, that's not a demotion. That's what he did. Yeah. It would be the same thing. I have a question. Just just to get a gauge, I think, of of, of where we all are on Mantis. J.K. Dobbins. Mantis Toboggan. Watch Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Great show. Um, against Indiana, who has more carries, Mike Weber or J.K. Dobbins? I I think Weber gets more carries, but I think Dobbins, uh, I think he could probably spring, I, I think he's got better potential to spring more big plays than Weber. I'll say that right now. I think we see it immediately. I think J.K. Dobbins has more carries than Mike well, Weber. And but, Mike Weber's hurt. And here's the thing, Mike Weber's hurt. That's the thing of like, Mike, Mike Weber's been hurt. Mike Weber's been out of practice. It's not a serious injury except hamstrings. Again, hamstrings are not serious injuries until they're serious injuries. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think we can pretend that he's as an, in as good of game shape as J.K. Dobbins. I mean, like, you can talk about – this is the kind of thing that happens all the time, and you have to be aware of it in the moment. In the moment, everybody says he's fine. And then six, seven weeks from now, everyone's going to be talking and writing a story about Mike Weber saying, well, at the beginning of the year, I wasn't really in game shape, but now I'm good. And nobody in the moment, everybody wants to write and talk in the moment, great. And then eight weeks from now, they want to write, oh, yeah, it wasn't great back then, but now it's great. And then a month after that, they'll write, oh, it wasn't great then, but now it's great. Sometimes you have to realize in the moment, it's not exactly what they're saying. So I'm not just chalking up Mike Weber. Oh, Mike Weber missed all preseason camp. Oh, well, he's, he's fine. They say he's fine. They put out a video. Yeah. He must be fine. I'm not I'm not counting on that. So I think there is some kind of thing where uh you look at your rushing totals from Indiana and it's fifteen for JT Barrett, eleven for JK Dobbins, and nine for Mike Weber. Yeah. I think that's definitely possible. And that that would be an indication immediately of what the deal is, but that also still would be an indication of Mike Weber's not himself yet. So maybe by UNLV, by Army, by Rutgers, by the middle of the season. Mike Weber has taken on mm-hmm. clearly the lead role, but I don't think J.K. Dobbins is going anywhere. No, I don't either. Dobbins! Let me talk about something that is very near and dear to my heart. 
It's a charity you can trust. It's the Cleveland.com Sportscast. And the charity is you listening to us. Dear God, please listen to us. <laughs> we spend a lot of time in our cars, right? How much do you guys drive around? You're in your car, what, eight, ten hours a day? I drove from uh, San Francisco to Columbus, and I loved every minute of it. Did you listen to any podcasts in the car? Yeah. What? Were they ours? I don't, I don't remember if we were – I don't think we were doing one back then. Okay. Yeah, this I, was like, yeah, this was like three years ago. Yeah, I drove from the Army-Navy game in Philadelphia three years ago uh, back home. You didn't tell me? This was the Army-Navy game. I, I, I decided I was going to go this on a whim. Did you bring them soft pretzels? Yeah, yeah bring them soft pretzels. Sadly, no, but, I mean, we got back at, like, 3 in the morning, and, yeah, I, was, I had podcasts going. It's like driving through the middle of Pennsylvania through the mountains and all that stuff. Those mountains are rough. PA Turnpike is the worst road in America. The west half of it is bad. The east half is more of a straight path. The west is when you get all windy and you go through the three giant tunnels. Because so. the thing is, boring roads are terrible. Until you're on an exciting mountain pass at 3 o'clock in the morning and all you want is a boring straight road. Yeah. Um, so we do. We all spend time in our cars. We're driving kids to school. We're driving to the Army-Navy game. We're driving back from San Francisco. Now, we want you to listen to the Buckeyes, the Browns, the Tribe, and the Cavs. We want you to listen to Cleveland.com talking about those teams. We're talking about the most experienced writers in Cleveland. Taking you inside the most important sports teams every day of the week. Mondays, that's the Browns day. That's Orange and Brown talk. That's Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Laba, and Scott Patsko. Tuesdays, and these guys just dropped their first one, Wine and Gold Talk. That's Chris Fedor, professional radio person. Mm -hmm. And Joe Varden, used to cover politics. Wednesday, I don't think the other podcast mind us saying us saying this. Wednesday, the best podcast. The best and pioneering podcast. Buckeye Talk, Doug Lesmerizes, Bill Landis, Tim Bielek. Thursdays, it says Cleveland Baseball Talk or Tribe Talk. Are they still debating... The name? Yeah, I think it's Tribe Talk. Tribe Talk. Yeah, we're, we're calling it the official. Tribe. No, that's Joe Noga and Paul Hoynes, and then Fridays. We think it'll be on Fridays. Takes by the Lake. Probably me. Maybe some other people. Um, we're going to have a, definitely a, a rookie quarterback uh, podcast on Friday, so you guys can subscribe on iTunes. You can subscribe to Buckeye Talk separately. Uh, you can subscribe to Cleveland.com that podcast feed. Um, and here's the thing: bookmark this Cleveland.com/slash/podcasts. All the podcasts will go there. Let's do some defense. And then we'll do some french fries. We can't... If you guys were at McDonald's the other day, we were having an interesting conversation, and then I said, save it for the podcast, which is what we say when we don't want to be interesting for free. <laughs> Although we're interesting for free on here because we don't have any actual ads. Um, what up, Winston Bucks? And now I can't... We can't remember... I, I, what I'm the drawing a complete blank. discussion was. It's usually food-related, but I feel like this one was not. You think it's Europe-related? I thought it was, like, European travel-related. God, I don't know what it is. But I don't feel like that's in our, our listenership wheelhouse yeah. as much as, like, fast-casual Mexican restaurants yeah. are. All right. By the way, a lot of really good suggestions for fast-casual Mexican. Can I tell you... So, anyway... All right, let's do this. I went to the fast-casual Mexican... In Columbus, suggested by one of our readers, uh -huh. delicious, awful heartburn the next day. Which place was it? Habaneros. Okay. And it's like a local place, and this is like, I really respect this. It's a local, I think, one-off place that feels like a chain. Ooh. Like their font yeah. looked like a chain. And it felt like to me when I walked in there, I thought, I could franchise this. So are you a proud owner of Habaneros Dos? Am I still here doing a podcast for <laughs> <Yeah>. free? <laughs> so no. Oh. <laughs> um so it was really good. I got the street tacos. Here's a good thing. $1.75. All right, we're doing an ad for habaneros. You can yeah. find it online, I think. It's in, it's in Hilliard. 
in a strip mall. Yeah, I just found it on the Google Maps. I just did a search for it. Just put a put a pin in that yeah. one. Oh, we'll talk about your pin thing then. <laughs> that's gonna get hot. That's gonna get legit. I will talk about it. that's a real thing. Four street tacos. They're like a dollar seventy five each. How many street tacos? If they were a dollar seventy five, how many would you get? What's this? What? And you could get. You know, I mean, like you're trying to figure out your dinner order. Uh, six at least. Uh, so I, four is a good number. It depends if you get anything with it, or if you're just getting straight tacos. Straight tacos, like no rice or anything on the side. I got a, we got some chips to share. I family. meant when I when I meant straight tacos, I meant so, like with sides or just the tacos. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. no, it's just it's just tacos. Uh, six, four, four or five. Because I got four, and I'm gonna be honest, I had trouble finishing them. They Decent were nice sized tacos. Yeah, yeah, they were good. But I think I got I got some that was pork, like a marinated pork, and mm-hmm. I think that got me the next day. So, with the it was, but it was really good. They had tamales. I'm a big tamale guy. They only have tamales on the weekends. Um, and I was there on a weekend. I didn't get it because I was sort of addicted to the street tacos. But they had a good burrito. Look like, looked like good burritos. There's a place near our McDonald's, El Jalapeno. Yeah, is that good? I don't know, but someone said it on Twitter. Someone someone said it's near your McDonald's because they know which McDonald's we go to. Wow. <laughs> I want people to start to come visit us yeah. in our McDonald's. Yeah. Although, by the way... I come into the McDonald's the other day. Usually we get the corner booth. I look over. Land of Ten's in there. The Athletic is in there. Yeah. And there's nowhere for me to sit. What are you doing, Landis? You're letting all these people... You were slow bathe. getting there. You were working on something else. I was working on something that yeah. I think is going to be pretty good. Yeah. All right. So tell us about your pin story before we get to the defense and the rest of the schedule. Oh, my... The app that I used to have. The app? Yeah. Did you invent the app? No, no, no. no. So my friends and I always talked about an app in college... That was like an app that told you where the uh, least crowded but also cleanest bathrooms were. Yeah. It was something similar to that. But this app that I use was called Places I've Pooped. And like when you're using the facilities, no matter where you are, it has GPS. And you touch the screen and you drop a pin. And then then as you're doing your business, you can look and reminisce like, oh, yeah, I used the bathroom in uh, Telluride one time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because that I think is a good... It's like, have you really experienced the culture yeah. of that area? The problem with the app, and so I haven't used it in a few years because I switched phones, and you don't have a login. So it's like, once you delete the app, your bathroom uh, history is deleted. That's terrible. That was very, and I didn't want to start over again. So, whatever. I had like uh, 20-something states on there. Really? Yeah. Had a good run. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations that's, on that, thanks, by man. the way. That's thanks. an impressive catalog there. Yeah. 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 And then you just did you start calling it dropping a pin? Yeah, that's because you, you and Ari you and Ari called it that, yeah. <laughs> when the national championship game where's Lennis? Dropping a pin. Dropping a pin. <laughs> uh this I want to do another thing too, and we're gonna do an actual poll on Twitter about this. I want to know who listens to this podcast, and after that exchange, maybe the answer is no one. Yeah. Everyone does it, man. It's a book. We want to appeal across generations. So we want to appeal to uh, baby boomers. Mm-hmm. We want to appeal to uh, generation Xers. There's not one in between there, is there? I'm going to look it up because I don't know the answer. We want to appeal to um, millennials. And we want to appeal to uh, generation Z, which I think is the people under that. But we can't appeal to Tim Bielek because Tim Bielek is a denier of his own generation. And I don't know if this is going to be very pleasing to our audience, but why are you a self-loathing millennial? Well, because I hate the way millennials are portrayed. And I got a story on my phone that basically says, Millennials killed Applebee's. Really? That's the headline of a story on, a, on August 16th from Barstool, Barstool Sports that says, 
millennials killed Applebee's. And I know for a fact that's not true because I had Applebee's last week. And I can attest, Applebee's is good. The problem is just, a, right. especially where I live, I'm not going to say exactly where I live. Why not? Don't you want people to come visit Address your house? Well, apartment number. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I'll say is I live on the north end of Columbus, and if you see me, say hi. I'm happy. Yeah. I'm, I'm a friendly person. I'm happy to strike up a random conversation with people whenever. Just as an FYI, I am not friendly, so please don't talk to me. What's your social security number? <laughs> so, you, so you are saying that you do not share the traits of millennials who are killing, supposedly, uh, restaurant chains. Yeah, they're... I've read stories like millennials are killing the fast food, the the carryout industry. They're killing the napkin industry, and I know that's not true because my fiance always buys napkins. No, no, no. You don't buy napkins. You take napkins from fast food places. I have literally eighty-seven napkins in the side door of my car because they're free. You're not stealing from the restaurant. I think now I don't know how much Cleveland.com's paying you, but I'm telling you, I'm in the free napkin business. You're just throwing money away buying napkins in a store. I will say when I go to like Qdoba or whatever to get food, and I am a Qdoba truther. I am with you on Qdoba. Nice. I actually had that about a week and a half ago. Lies. I had Qdoba about a week and a half half ago before I came down to uh, practice or interviews, and uh, phenomenal. I love it. Phenomenal. Tremendous quesadillas, and they give you more chips than Chipotle does. There used to be a place in Columbus where you get like the free chips, and I don't think they have a place like that anymore. That was the place to go. So we're going to ask on Twitter who listens to this because we want to find out. Do we miss any generations, or do we hit everybody? No, you hit them all. We yeah. hit them all. So do we, do we have more boomers? Do we have more Generation Xers? Do we have more millennials? Or do we have more like uh, kids who are in grade school? Yeah. And hopefully it's not kids in grade school the way that we talk. But I will say I saw something on Twitter the other day where everyone talks about like millennials kill everything. And it was like millennials killed racist statues. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, I mean, you know, like millennials aren't, uh, millennials all aren't uh, all bad. Yeah. yeah. So I, you guys are okay. Yeah. But I will say I do not eat avocado toast like people claim all millennials do. I am not an avocado toast person. I don't even know what that we is. We get it, Tim. You're not a millennial. You are. Yeah. yeah. Of course I am. Um, all right. Let's go to the defense. Secondary, are you in on these guys being as good? And I've decided that I'm going to stop arguing with Kerry Combs because I think I stress him out when I argue yeah. with him because he is a very pleasant person. He's a fine family man. He's a grandfather. I think he's a good recruiter and a good coach. And I don't want to stress him out by arguing with him in fun. So I'm not going to be up in his face anymore. Um, but he's very confident in this group of corners specifically, and let's deal with them first, then we'll get into the safeties a little bit. We know they, they lost two corners, two starting corners, to the first 24 picks of the NFL draft. But Denzel Ward, Kendall Sheffield, Ward especially, and Damon Arnett are all talked about as maybe like the next wave of these guys, so can they be? And again, Marshawn Lattimore, a year ago, if we were doing a podcast, when we talked about Marshawn Lattimore on this podcast, we were not saying, oh, he's a top 10 pick. Yeah. So, I mean... Does, do you think a Sheffield or an Arnett has a Lattimore kind of breakout in them? Because I, I think everybody th- – excuse me, everybody thinks – I'm not burping, I'm hiccuping. Everybody thinks Denzel Ward is going to be good because he's been good. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty in on Denzel Ward. I don't, I don't have very many questions on him. I've talked about his size before. He was good last year. He, he maybe had some – Minor struggles against like Mike Williams, but overall he was fine, and I I think he'll be fine this year. 
I don't know. I can't. I can't bring myself to just like accept that Damon Arnett and Kendall Sheffield are going to be as good as Marshawn Lattimore and Gary on Conley last year. Maybe they will be, but I'm, I'm not. I'm not assuming it. I just can't. I can't bring myself to do it. And maybe I'll be proved wrong in the first quarter against Indiana. Um, I don't know. We haven't been able to talk to Kendall Sheffield. I would really like to talk. And to we don't Sheffield. know. We don't know the deal with like what went down with him at Alabama and how he ended up at Blinn College, Blinn Junior College, and now he's at Ohio State. If Kendall Sheffield was slash is Marshawn Lattimore or Garyon Conley, why didn't he play at Alabama? Like it just it just seems strange to me that he would be set on the path that he was set on if he was quite that good. Doesn't mean he's bad. It just means maybe but he's not a first round pick. He was only at Bama for one year, right? And he redshirted it, and then he transferred because I think he was upset that he redshirted it. Okay. And the way Alabama recruits, I think there's a sense that like if you redshirt. You're getting recruited you're over. You're getting recruited over. Even if you're as good as Kendall Sheffield, who was a five-star corner. Um, but I think they can be close to as good. Like I, I'm, just, I'm not. If, if saying they're as good means they're going to be first-round picks, I'll stop a little short of that. But I think that, for the most part, their cornerback play can be good enough to, to get the defense to where they want it to be. I'm saying they don't necessarily need to be as good. The big reason, the guys in front of them. I mean... What's a corner's best friend? It's a great pass. Brock runner. Osweiler. Well, that's that, a good Brock <laughs> Osweiler joke. <laughs> Touche. But um, a corner's best friend is a good pass rush. And if we think Ohio State's front seven is as good as we think we are, we'll get to them in a second, that's going to help make the lives of Arnett and Sheffield a lot easier. And, again, you don't get that – kind of status at Alabama, you know, being a five-star and going to Alabama, unless you're really good. He didn't play, though. Fair, yeah, but you also have Minka Fitzpatrick there, who's... Safety. Oh, he wasn't... Was a corner before? He was a corner, he was a corner for time, and I think he got moved to safety. I'm trying to remember who's corner now. I want to say, like, Anthony Avery was there. I don't know if he's still there off the top of my head. Um, but when I look at the secondary, we know what Ward is. Probably the fastest guy on this team. He's going to yeah. get those one matchups on the ones because he was that third corner. And I mentioned this in the video about a week or so ago. Just because you're the slot corner doesn't mean you're bad. It means the game has changed where teams are now playing three receivers on a regular basis. So you need three good corners. Yeah. And maybe the reason and Ward was the third simply because he was playing behind two first-round picks. He, they were even. Yeah. I mean, they played them equal was, snaps. They played the same amount of snaps. They played outside. On ones and twos, like they were, I, I think Ward. There's no issue with Ward. They treated him the same way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you have a guy as established in Ward, essentially you just need either Arnett or Sheffield to step up, and they don't necessarily need to be as good, but they need to be capable of holding their own. Because guess who's going to get picked on? Yeah, that's unless the thing. unless Ward is yeah. going up against a guy with Mike Williams size, and in that case they might shift Sheffield on him because he's got a lot more size than Ward. So they might have a little more freedom to play with those matchups, I think. Safety, the thing I can't get past, I, I think the most irreplaceable guy is Malik Hooker on mm-hmm. this the whole roster from last year, which is like saying nothing because he's the most unique safety in 10 years in college football. And so I think he just, a lot of the spectacular things that happened, I think the way that you could play sometimes, um, I'm sure they'll be fine with Jordan Fuller, Eric Smith, but like they can't, why are you smirking? Oh, no, no. I was thinking about my Brock Osweiler joke. <laughs> it looked like you were holding in like, I can't wait are to light tra- up Doug's Malik Hooker take. This are, you gonna, like, are you going to frame that exchange and put it on your wall? Maybe. Maybe. Just tweet it at Brock Osweiler. Yeah. Hey, Brock, 
at Brock Osweiler, who's a cornerback's best friend? <laughs> you. Um, person in the film. So do you think, <laughs> I mean, is that like, how much, okay, it's not a hot take. They're not going to be as good because Malik Hooker is gone. But how much will that matter? Will we see that impact on the defense at all? I mean, teams didn't throw the ball over the middle of the field deep because Malik Hooker was back there. It's like you, you eliminated, I don't know how many yards are between the hash marks, but field's 53 yards wide, 53 and a half yards wide. Malik Hooker took a, away a large swath of the football field that I don't know if there's anyone on, one on the roster who can do that the way that he did it. So I think it's huge. I think Malik Hooker took so much pressure off guys like Con- Conley and Lattimore and Denzel Ward. That's not going to happen, at least not, not from the jump. Jordan Fuller might be a pretty good center fielder. We don't know it yet because we don't get to watch practice, but I'm, like, he's not going to be as good as Malik Hooker. No one is. So that, that is, to me, is a colossal loss, and I think depending on how good Eric Smith and Jordan Fuller are, like, it might force some fairly significant philosophical shifts on the back end of Ohio State's defense depending on whether or not they have that true center fielder like Malik Hooker was. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. Uh, he was really good. Man, I mean, again, the way, so the way good, these guys man. talk about him. I mean, here's the thing. So Ohio State lost... 31 to nothing to Clemson. They should have lost 38 to nothing, except Malik Hooker turned a sure touchdown for Clemson on a perfect throw by Deshaun Watson into a pick. That was one of the best plays I've ever seen. And yeah. I, that's probably true for a lot of people, but that was incredible. That was like the Little League uh, World Series home run, Rob. You guys saw, saw that was that crazy. Play. That's crazy. Which, by the way, is like so I have a lot of Little League World Series hot takes, by the way. Really? Yeah. I covered the Little League World Series twice. Did you? Well, I did. Were- God's country. Yeah. You love the Little League World Series, or you think it's in the child abuse? No, 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 no. Nothing like that. No, in terms like, the gameplay. <laughs> Strategy? No, like, okay, here it is. So, I grew up in Philadelphia. Um, when I was 11 and 12 years old, we were playing with 90-foot bases and a 60-foot, 6-inch mound. We didn't have home run fences. These kids are giants playing on fields meant for 6-year-olds. Oh. Uh, so, you're saying you would have torn it up? 11-year-old Bill Landis is going yard? On the 200-foot fences? Yeah, these kids can throw the ball over the home run fence if they wanted to. Like, what were, There are six foot three, 13 13-year-olds playing in the Little League World Series on a field that's meant for t-ball. The field's too small. Put them on a bigger field. Hot take. I'll buy that. Yeah. I'll buy that. Uh, linebackers. Let's that's not spend too much time on linebackers because we've already done a video about it. Do we think the linebackers are good, yes or no? Yep. Yes. Okay, here's my question about the defensive line. Is the defensive line going to be, like, really good, or is the defensive line going to, like, be to the point that literally the opposing offense can't function? Like, I think just like Malik Hooker was the kind of player where you said people were talking about, we haven't seen a guy play that position like that in a decade and they're looking for all-time comparisons for him. And we're talking about no matter how good Ohio State is at that position, there's no way they can be as good as Malik Hooker. As a collective group, this defensive line, are, are we talking about – and I know like Clemson has a really good defensive line too. I don't think it's 100% slam dunk. Here in our bubble, we say it's the best defensive line in the country. We don't know the ins and outs. Clemson has a lot of really talented defensive line guys. They're in the mix as one of the two or three best, mm-hmm. right? Yes. I mean like – are they going to make it ugly? Are they going to make it that, that there are going to be times where where eight or nine or ten of the offenses, if they play, can't function? That let's, that let's say, for instance, we think Penn State's a competitive game, right? We think Penn State's a good team. Is it possible that there's nowhere for Saquon Barkley to run and Trace McSorley gets sacked eight times, and that game's a blowout because the defensive line is so good 
it just wins games by itself. Is that on the table? Uh, yeah, I think probably. Uh, I thought we we learned something kind of interesting, or at least I did. I, I don't know if this has been said before, but Nick Bosa said it, and then Larry Johnson said it on Monday, and it's that Greg Schiano has sort of tweaked the defensive front a little bit, and they're lining up just a little bit wider, and that's mostly for the defensive ends to get a little more space from the tackle to, I think, allow them to be a little faster. And Nick Bosa said last year that they played tighter. They were really focused on sort of uh, building a wall and, and stopping rushing attacks, and that was like Luke Fickle's preference. And now Fickle's gone, and Greg Schiano's preference is to put these guys a little wider and really let the strength of the team, which are defensive end and pass rushers, and to use Nick Bosa's word, pin their ears back and get at, get upfield. Um, I think they're going to be a problem for, for probably everybody they play. The difference with like Alabama defensive lines and Clemson's defensive line now is that like, they have guys in the middle that are so disruptive. Like Dexter Lawrence is a freak, and he's right in the middle of the defensive line. For as good as I think Draymond Jones is going to be, he's not that. He's not a 300-pound immovable object in the middle of the line who like just basically eliminates the middle of the field. Um, but you can make up for that with the defensive end talent they have. So, yeah, I think, I think they're going to be really, really good. Yeah, I, I agree. And as good as they're going to be, that's the only – Weakness they have is they don't have that dominant defensive tackle, like you said, Dexter Lawrence, or even going nose, like the nose nose guard. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, or yeah. even going back a few years to Glenn Dorsey from yep. when OSU lost to LSU. Um, I think it's going to restrict a lot of game defense offensive game plans because t- like teams are just not going to have time to, th- to make seven step drops or whatever. You're going to have to take three steps, get that ball out quick, and try and nickel your way down the field, and all of a sudden one penalty or. You're running to make a strap or two-yard loss on first down, and all of a sudden your game plan is out the window. Yep. And then you see Bosa and Tyquan Lewis and Sam Hubbard all just flying through the middle. Um, this, the, I mean, I've mentioned it. You're going to have either Sam Hubbard or Nick Bosa not on the field to start games if you go the true end-end tackle-tackle because you have to assume Tyquan Lewis is penned in as your starter. One of those two guys is a sub. Yeah. That alone says everything you need to know about this defensive line. Yeah, those guys, yeah. It's, I'm interested to watch it happen. I'm interested to watch it happen. I think they're going to get weird with it, too. Yeah, I think they are. Because I think the other thing, too, is that there's so many veteran guys. I think they trust them. Yeah. I think they trust them to take risks. You've seen that here. Even even with other different co- defensive coordinators, you can see it's when because you got to be gap sound. You can't have you like over pursuing and messing stuff up and 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 like letting guys hit lanes because someone didn't do his job. But if they trust you to do your job, they let you freelance more. Yeah. And I think they're going to have a lot of guys. That whole front seven, they can get super funky with because like again, even Dante Booker, who's only started one game in his life as a fourth year guy, who I'm sure knows the defense in and inside and out. They can really get weird with some of that stuff, and I think, and that's when we've seen. That's when Ohio State has problems. Yeah. It's not just about losing one-on-one matchups straight up. It's when they're doing things and coming from different directions and attacking you in different ways, and yeah. that you weren't expecting. And then you have a really talented guy doing something you didn't expect, and now you're really in trouble. Bud Foster. Bud Foster. Yeah, Fourteen. All right, I want to run through this. Guess what, everybody? We're going a little long. We're going to what do a questions. Shocker. Let's get to questions in a second. Okay. I want to run through. We've gone through two games of this. <laughs> oh yeah, two games <laughs> of the schedule. There are more. Give me the other games. Give me the games you, that that if they're going to lose, what game are they going to lose? 
I mean, obviously Penn State is, is not a gimme for all the reasons we said about Oklahoma. The talent is kind of equal. Home field doesn't matter. Penn State is going to be a game. Uh, Nebraska and Iowa are weird to me. And I don't know how good Nebraska is going to be. My Philly accent comes out sometimes when I say Nebraska. I don't know how good Nebraska is going to be. But if Tanner Lee's a real dude and, yep. and they're running Mike Riley's offense the way he wants to run it and wasn't quite able to do it when he had um, Tommy Armstrong, Tommy Armstrong, a quarterback, and they're playing at in in uh, Lincoln, it's going to be nuts there. Um, that's a game you can lose. It's kind of a weird game. Iowa, just because of its place on the schedule, is a little tricky. But I don't think Iowa is good enough to beat Ohio State. And that's the thing. Like I don't. They lost to Virginia Tech in 2014. That was not a typical Urban Meyer team. That was a young team that was still trying to figure figure some stuff out. Um, Ohio State is not really ever going to lose to a team that it is that much more talented than. Yeah. So it's Penn State, it's Oklahoma, and Nebraska, I think, depending on how good Tanner Lee is. Not Michigan? No. I, I think Michigan might have a little bit of 2014 Ohio State to it and that they're powered by sophomores and they could be good by the end of the year. But at this point, no. I, I think they're they're at least third in the list of threats behind Penn State and Oklahoma. They got a little lucky this year. Uh, they hit them both last year, but the two best teams in the West are Wisconsin and Northwestern, mm-hmm. and they played them both last year, and they don't play either of them this year. Yeah. So that's helpful. Is there anybody? Who's, who's jumping out to you? Um, well, I'm not as – I know you're thinking stressing Penn State. I'm not for a couple reasons. One, Ohio State will have two weeks to prepare for that game. Which matters. That matters. Mm-hmm. And Penn State will have just hosted Michigan – which matters. Emotional game because Penn State got blown out by Michigan last year and Ohio State got colla- collapsed at Penn State. I think fair to say last year that fourth quarter was obviously what kept them from playing for a Big Ten championship, what kept them from, you know, going for an undefeated regular season. Who knows how revisionist history could have happened if that kick block kick doesn't happen. I'll tell you what would have happened. They still would have gotten shut up by Clemson in the playoff. But anyway. Maybe. <laughs> but I'm thinking. The flash, fast forward to the next week, Iowa. Ohio State, the worry is with a team that is coming into an emotional game like Penn State, they're angry. They've had two weeks to get ready for that. Now you go on the road to Iowa. Iowa beat Michigan last year when at times Michigan looked invincible, largely invincible up to that point. They looked like playoff worthy up until that game. Iowa's a weird place to play. Kinnick's a weird place to play. There's the psychology of, you know, the pink visitor's locker room, which uh, is interesting. None of those players have been in there. They don't know what to expect. It's just a weird place to play a game. And I think if there's a game that's going to trip them up, I look at Iowa because of all the different things that can happen there. I mean, Penn State in 08 lost at Iowa. Michigan last year lost at Iowa. Wait, 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 wait. Are you dropping facts on us yeah. now? What are you, Landis? You're looking stuff up? It's better than me. This is not a look stuff up podcast. Yeah. Well, like, unless I, you just know that in 2008, Penn State lost at Iowa off the top of your head. I actually did, believe it or not. Not What's even wrong with you? Like, look at my phones. There's, like, they're, like, the screen's off right now. I just remember that stuff because I remember watching those. Watching unless it's not true. Now Landis is going <laughs> to fact check fact you check live you on the podcast. All right, so you're buying Iowa as a potential problem. Yeah, because Iowa's got talent. I mean, they got obviously a great. Do they? Play. Well, they got a good running game, and I don't know. Akron Wadley's not going anywhere. I don't know. I don't know about. I don't even know who who's Iowa's quarterback this year. I don't even know. Ricky Stanzi. Yeah, can I just keep saying I don't know about Iowa yeah. more times? Um, I think uh, I think Penn State's the real deal. Um, 
I think Saquon Barkley is a real deal. I see Trace McSorley as a mobile quarterback. Here's the thing. The only quarterback who's going to beat Ohio State this year is a mobile quarterback. Mm-hmm. The only way you're going to beat them is with um, – and that's the combo. I mean, that's the combo. I mean, that's how Penn State beats everybody. Good running game, and then a mobile quarterback can get out of trouble and throw it over the top. So that's what you have to do to give yourself a chance because if you were going to try to I – mean, that, that actually, it's like I think Michigan's going to get better. I don't know how a drop-back pro-style team beats Ohio State this year unless you have an All-American offensive line. Or an NFL quarterback. Like you can just who's like gonna, fit in the windows, but there's not many dudes. I mean, that, I, that's how Wilton's played. But but I would rather have Trace McSorley than Sam Darnold against this this mm-hmm. defensive line, and not knowing who the offensive line is. I mean, I don't. I've seen too many Ohio State defenses take apart pro style guys who are supposed to be good and who go on and do things in the NFL. You have got to be able to get away from them. So who can get away from them and make a play? That's the formula to beat them. The formula to beat them is use their aggression against them, or they should have a sack, but instead of a sack, they give up a 50-yard touchdown. Yeah. Who can do that on this schedule? Baker Mayfield and Trace McSorley. And, and, and I don't know if there's somebody else in there or not, but those are two guys on two good teams, and I think it could be a situation where the offense for this team does not click quite as much as everybody thinks. Everybody gets used to a defense that wins games for you. And then all of a sudden, when the defense gets hit with a couple things in situations like that, everybody goes, oh, I guess we're not getting a shutout this week. Now what are we going to do? Yeah. So I don't know. We're going to hit on this very quickly. And then we're going to get to a couple questions. And then we're going to have a two-hour podcast. <laughs> are they going undefeated? <sighs> Mr. Optimist, you go first yeah, yeah. while Landis uh, sighs into the microphone. I do that a lot. I am reluctant to say yes because... You're so sunny and optimistic? <laughs> well, so I mean... Tim, 12... will they go 12-0 and 0 or 30-0? and 0? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think 12-0, and 0, definitely very possible because y- you look at their two toughest games, Oklahoma-Penn State, They're both at home. I know, I know you said home field advantage doesn't mean all that much. At Ohio State. Better than playing on the road. Yeah. It's like, it's important because it's not playing at Oklahoma. It's not playing at Happy Valley. It's on your field. You got 108,000 people going nuts. That's your advantage is you at least are not there. And there's going to be that game, that inevitable game, whether it be, like I said, Iowa or somebody else where they just struggle for whatever reason against a team we don't even see coming. For all we know, we could go to Rutgers on September 30th. and Stop. You're off the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> For all we know, Rutgers yeah. is the last thing you've ever said on this podcast, and you've been booted off the beat. <laughs> well, that's... Chris Ash is going to have a parade for you yeah. through the streets of Piscataway. <laughs> this is the guy who said, for all you know, Rutgers. That's going to be their slogan next year. Hashtag, for all you know, Rutgers. Tim Bielek. Good Lord. <laughs> you can't say things like that and have any credibility. Well, I'm just throwing For out all the... you know, Rutgers might not give up 100 points yeah. to Ohio State this year. For all you well, know, Rutgers might not score negative well, points against Ohio State. Go I mean, ahead. I was just thinking, insert random opponent here. I mean, I could insert have said, anyone I, but Rutgers. At least I could, I, in theory, I probably could also said Army. Okay, because, that I'll buy. Because yeah. I know from, like I said, Army-Navy, I know that background because my brother went to the Naval Academy. I follow Navy a lot. So I know option football a lot. Is your brother Ken Niamatololo? Uh, no, but ironically, almost ironically, my brother did get married in Hawaii. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, 
It's not necessarily a straight line, but we'll go there. Okay. <laughs> but ironically, my brother's barber's name is Ken. <laughs> well, the point is... We're shouting. Yeah. <laughs> the point Sorry is... Sorry to your ears, listeners. Sorry. But the point is... Oh, God. I think 12-0, and 0, I think they can get there. Okay. There's always that you know trap game that you don't see coming that they've fallen into the past three years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, but not against a crap team. I'm I'm not saying Rutgers, obviously, but I mean, there's that game that could eventually be the one that you don't see coming. How do the like every good team has that one game? Can Ohio State avoid it? If they and, do, they're twelve and zero. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. And then we'll get to Landis sighing. Here's the thing: is that they have played a lot of close games that they could have lost. And I wrote about last year after the Wisconsin game that like they get themselves into these situations and they win and I don't think it's coincidence. Yeah. It's not luck, it's not a coin flip when you get in these situations. When you get into overtime against Wisconsin on the road, kind of everybody thinks Ohio State's going to win and then they do. Like that's a thing. They are a good overtime team. They're built for overtime because they have a good defense and a good running game. Like, they don't need, like, they can't throw it deep anyway, so short in the field, they're fine. They're good to go. You shorten the field on some teams, and that hurts their offense. It helps their offense. But they, there is something to it. JT Barrett is a gut-check quarterback. You know, like, these guys, they win a lot of close games. But it's just a reminder to people that they play a lot of close games. They really do. They played I mean, five last games yeah. last year that they could have lost. They only lost one of them. They played double overtime against Michigan. They went overtime on the road against Wisconsin. They beat Michigan State by a point. They beat Northwestern by four. They could have lost any of those games, and everybody thinks Penn State's a fluke. They could have been two and three. Of the- they were a nine and three team. They were a ten and two team that went eleven and one. So again, it's not. It's not coincidence that they win close games, but at some point you don't win all of them. Yeah. When you are a team that wins close games, that does not mean that you win 100% of close games. It means you win 70 or 80% of close games. But when you play four or five games like that in the year, that means you're going to lose one of them. So I still think that's in their DNA. How many opponents can play close with them and put them in the position to lose? They're going to win most of those, but they're not going to win all of those. And actually, I think... There's been some luck involved that they get a lot of credit for winning close games, but I actually think they've won more close games than they should. I think they're 61-6 and six under Urban Meyer. I actually think by all rights and a lot of other things going other ways, they probably should be more like 58-9, and nine, which is like a ridiculous thing to say. But I'm just telling you, they've had a lot of things. They've earned a lot of things, but they've also had a lot of things, and they've had opponents screw up. And at some point, they're going to hit a year when they lose more than one game. Like they're, they've they've been they haven't lost more than one game in the regular season in Urban Meyer's career. And like at some point, they're just going to lose a game straight out because they played a good team and lost. And then they're also going to have a game where something screwy goes against them and they can't overcome it, and they lose on a last second field goal. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm yeah, setting yeah. you up to say whatever you're going to say, but I just want to remind people that. Although they at times can seem invincible, they aren't invincible. They're really good in the clutch, and they've also been a little bit lucky. Yeah, no, I I agree with all that, which is like why I'm never going to – I shouldn't say never, but I try to stay away from picking them to go 12-0. I think I did pick them to go 12-0 in 2015. Um, I'm not picking them to go 12-0, and I think they are going to go 12-0. Is that a, 
Is that a cop out? <laughs> I think it might be the definition of a cop out. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but I know what you're saying. So you're not picking them to go. And here's the thing that I think happened with them a lot. You can't find the individual game where you're willing to say they lose this game. Yeah. But you think over the course of a 12-game schedule, somebody's going to get st- All the stuff that you laid out leads me to pick one loss. And I couldn't, I'm not even confident to tell you who I think it's going to be at this point. Um, I have like a, the list of who you'd expect, but I don't know. I don't know who it's going to be. But I think they're. I'm. I am going to pick eleven and one. Let's put it out there. Okay, twelve and zero. That's the podcast. Thanks for listening. <clears throat> no, I'm just kidding. No questions. Let's go. Let's go eight more minutes and do some quick, quick answers to questions. I never pick them to go twelve and zero. I might pick them to go twelve and zero this year. Yeah. We're, I'm, we're not on the clock for our official official predictions yet, but uh, I also think they might. I think they have a legitimate chance to lose to Oklahoma. Okay. Let's do questions. Let's make the answers to the questions quick so we can get to as many as possible. Uh, Chase Richardson, our boy, our boy. Uh, he asked, "Which 2017 recruit are we each most excited about?" I think we now that down. J.K. Dobbins. Yes, J.K. Dobbins. He also asked, "Which 2018 guy most intrigues us?" And I don't know how familiar you guys are with the 2018 class. I think there's a J.K. Dobbins in the 2018 class. His name is Master Teague the Third. He is an unbelievable running back, and he's the guy I like in 2018. Is it a cop off for me to say it's their top ranked guy, Teron Vincent? No, that's a big deal. Five-star defensive tackle that they've been chasing. That's the white whale, man. And yeah, that guy can yeah, play because, early. Yeah, yeah, because it's like I mentioned earlier. Ohio State doesn't ha- never had that Glenn Dorsey type. He's not Glenn Dorsey. I think that's important to state. He's not a five-star nose tackle. He is a five-star defensive tackle. Right, but he's not Glenn Dorsey. He's right. not a 300-pound squatty meatball you can't move. He's an athlete who's a big kid and a good player and a five-star defensive tackle, but he's not that. Um. I'm going to say the punter. Is there a punter in that class? There is no punter. Okay, no. Then I pass. Sorry. Pass. Okay. Uh, this question from Kev Carver. Do you envision Kevin Wilson keeping the two-year assistant handshake deal with Urban, or is he above that? I think, yes, he keeps it. I think it's good for him. I think it's good for the program. Uh, I don't. He's a little – got to remember – I don't know if we've hit this hard enough or not, but like he got booted out of Indiana for mistreating players. Mm-hmm. That he's a little toxic at the moment. I don't. People aren't running. People aren't going to be running to hire that guy right away. He's got to wash some of that off of him. It's hard to say what he did exactly, what he didn't do exactly. There's some coach said, player said in there. I think at the very least he was insensitive. I don't know if he was mistreating people. It's uh, we didn't investigate it. I don't know. That's a thing. And I think, so I think this is not just, uh, hey, uh, Kevin Wilson, blah, blah. Like Kevin Wilson needs to like rehab himself a little bit, and I don't know that one year at Ohio State does it. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think he stays for the full two, I th- and Urban Meyer needs that to retool the offense. I think you need more than one year. I do think it's interesting that there's not stronger buyout language in this contract. That if he if he leaves to take a head coaching job for this season, I think it's like $100,000. Which is nothing. Which is nothing compared to what coaches make. But if Greg Shiano stayed too, I think Kevin Wilson could stay too. I agree. Yeah. Thoughts on Ohio State naming nine players as captains? That question from Andrew Ardle. Too many. It devalues past captains. These guys get invited to captains' breakfasts, and there are a lot of guys who are not at those breakfasts who if the old teams did nine captains, they would be there. I don't know why they're doing it. I think it's a little bit of the participation trophy stuff, which I hate. I like participation trophies. Sometimes participating is good enough. But if you're going to be a big, tough college football program and, and talk about blue and gold and red and you rank everything and champions table and some guys eat steak and some guys eat hot dogs, I think you can pick four captains. Yeah, that's more than 10% of the roster. 
that are captains. I mean, ten yep. percent is eight point five. And so. it's like, what does it harm? It doesn't harm anything. But I think, I think there is something. I don't know if devalue is the right word, but I just think it's weird. And and it's their team, and they can do what they want. But I think if you ask the captains of the past who go to that captain's breakfast or captain's dinner, how many captains should there be? I don't think any of them would say nine. Uh, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think you, it's a valid point. I, and my initial reaction to it was like, whatever. But now having more time to think about it and hear what you said, maybe nine's a little too much. But it, look at the nine guys. I think they're all deserving in their own way to be a captain too. So I don't know what you do about that. It's kind of a tough situation, I think. Um, one more question from Sam Faulkner. How many first-round picks will Ohio State have after this season? Oh, my God. This is, what's a story. Save it. Um, okay. I mean, we know there's a mock draft out there from Matt Miller of Bleacher Report who did one at the end of July that had five. Mm-hmm. The five were Jerome Baker, Billy Price, Sam Hubbard, Denzel Ward, and Draymond Jones. And now listen to us sigh into our microphones as we ponder the question ourselves. Now, is it for this coming draft or just this coming, the 2018 NFL draft? Okay. How many first-round picks will Ohio State have? I mean, that's a lot. Five is a lot. That's a lot, lot. Um, I don't know that there's anybody. I mean, I think Jamarco Jones maybe could be, but like Jack Muhort was a second round pick. I mean, mm-hmm. Taylor Decker was really good. I mean, it's like it's not like every good tackle is a first round yeah. pick. Yeah. He could be a second round pick. Kendall Sheffield, I think, is a guy that people are on alert for. That if he flashes and goes, I think that's on the table. But again, we've never seen him on a football field before, so mm-hmm. we don't know. Um, I think Booker, it could go nuts, but that's a hard thing to say. A guy who's never started more than a game is going to be a first-round pick. I don't think Worley's a first-round pick. I don't think Taekwon's a first-round pick. No. Um, there are good football players who are going to get drafted. Taekwon, I think, is going to get is, – he's like could be like a really good third-round pick mm-hmm. or something. I just don't think he's quite the, the animal to be a first-round or defensive end. Um, yeah. I'm going to say four. Price, Hubbard, Ward – and Jerome Baker, and I don't know what in which order, but those are the four I think. I feel confident saying at the moment. Yeah, I, I think that's a good number. I think at least defensively, Baker and Jones seem like the biggest locks. I don't think Jones is a lock. Well, close. You, he's getting there. I think he can, especially if he continues that progress from what he showed a year ago. I don't know about Hubbard. I don't know why. You, why I might like Jones more than Hubbard. I'll be curious to see. I, I think, think I I'll, might be underrating Sam Hubbard, but again, that guy had six and a half sacks. Two years ago, sort of as a as a guy in situations as a backup, and then had three and a half sacks last year. I think he's really quick. I think he's good. We were talking, asked him about this the other day. I think the best thing he does is like chase down running backs, mm-hmm. running wide. He's really quick, and I think pursues to the sideline really well on scrambling quarterbacks and running backs. I don't know if he's the monster pass rusher. I think he can be, be a three-four outside linebacker, though. You think he's that cover? I think he could be. Stand up, which is probably are they. So that's the that's the secret formation they talk about a lot. That it's like if they get their they get their three best three ends and Draymond as the four down lineman, and then Hubbard as a stand up guy, uh, as like a three four outside linebacker on passing downs, and that is also a nod to prepping him a little bit for yeah. a combine. That's why I think he. Otherwise, if he was just a defensive end, I don't know if I'd say first round. But I think because he brings that element. They yes. wanted him to play safety, brother. Yeah, and linebacker. Yes, I know. Like that guy. God, you're good at football. That could be a thing. I think too. Just I think Draymond Jones is going to be really good this year. 
Adolphus Washington was a fourth round pick, or third round pick, third third round pick. I think is Draymond, Draymond Jones that much better than Adolphus Washington? Yes, okay. I think he is. Uh, the other thing is that where that's like everybody hitting. That's like everybody yeah. hitting, batting a thousand. So I don't like. I'm not quite on the on the Denzel just with his size as much. I mean, like he's the next in the line. He's just a little shorter than some of the other ones, and so I know he's super fast. But in terms of like everything you want from a first round corner, mm. I think he's he checks a lot of boxes. He can't help how tall he is. I don't know if he's going to check every box the way Marshawn Lattimore checked every box. Yeah. Um, I think Baker. I think I believe in Baker. I think. And here's the other thing too: is hard. I think Billy Price is Billy Price. Billy Price is not going to do anything that surprises anybody this year. He's going to be really good. It's hard to be a first-round center, brother. Fair enough, I mean, buddy. like, there is – Nick Mangold was an unbelievable center here, and I think it was like the 29th or 31st pick in the first round and had a great NFL career, but that is not like a sure thing. Yeah. Billy Price could be the best center in the draft and be the eighth pick in the second Pat round. Pat Alfine was the best center in the country, and he was a third-round pick. So, I mean, I think Billy's a better athlete than Pat Alfline. I think he's stronger than Pat Alfline. He's bigger than Pat Alfline, so I think he'll go higher than Pat Alfline. I don't think you can lock any center in as a first-round pick. So I'll say three, and I would. if you ask me, am I closer to two or closer to four, I'd be closer to two. Yeah. Um, but I also think all of us are leaving room for like the guy that we just did not mention at all, who's a first-round pick. Just like we would have not said, I mean, I mentioned Sheffield, so he count, but I mean, like, just like we wouldn't have mentioned Lattimore or Hooker a year ago at this yeah. point. I mean, that that's on the table. I mean, what Paris Campbell goes bazonkers. I've seen Paris Campbell in second round mock drafts, and it's. I mean, they don't know anything. Right. The but, guys who are doing mock drafts, half of them are just reading our stuff. So, and some of them are really good, and some of them are talking to, to NFL scouts yeah. who have gone in and seen these guys and talked to the coaches, but. Um, it's hard to get a read, but I think that's, and we've all learned that now. We've all learned that now that there are going to be guys. I learned two things last year. One is this is now a playoff team every year. doesn't mean you have to pick them to make the playoff, but that's the threshold compete for a playoff spot. And it doesn't mean that if you don't make the playoff, it's disappointing, but it means that's it. It's not like, it's not even worth talking about anything else. Like, oh, could they win the East? Could they win the Big East? That's not the discussion. Mm-hmm. The discussion is, are they going to make the playoff? That's the only discussion to have about Ohio State. And the other one is, there is talent here that you have never seen that is ready for the NFL. And there are going to be guys that we're going to see for the first time this year and say, oh, <laughs> that guy is really, really good. All right, he's Tim Bielek. He's Bill Landis. I'm Doug Maurice. That was a gigantic Buckeye talk. We're blowhards. Mm-hmm. Who's the biggest blowhard? I don't know. Maybe Bielek. I don't know. I've only been on two of these, so I can't really. I talk so much, my throat hurts. <laughs> you guys can tell me to shut up. No, I think I, you make I, very yeah. salient points, and I enjoy hearing them. Yeah. I also have a mellifluous voice, yeah. but sometimes I burp and hiccup. All right, so you can catch us on iTunes. All the things Landis always says. Plus Overcast. Plus Overcast, which is a thing. Um, you can listen to our other cleveland.com podcasts again go back and listen to our jt barrett podcast from wednesday this is our season preview podcast so here's the thing we have to talk about are we gonna do a preview before the thursday night game are we gonna do a wednesday podcast yeah i think so maybe we'll do a mailbag or something i mean we don't want to we don't usually just preview the games with our with our podcast anyway but i don't want to do a podcast on wednesday that's so indiana heavy it's going to be dead by thursday night do we want to um next week like do a we're going to learn a lot. Do we want to like hit them with a – and there's no Ohio State game over the weekend. Maybe we hit people with a Friday Friday morning. Wait. Yeah. We'll let this Friday one carry you through. 
yeah. to the game, and then we'll come back on Friday with a wrap off the game, and then we'll get back on our Wednesday schedule. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that works. Set your clocks by that. Go to uh, Twitter. Follow at Tim Bielek. Listen, you're already following me and Landis because we've been talking on this thing for three years now. Go follow Tim at T-I-N-B-I-E-L-I-K. I want Tim Bielek to have a 1,000 more followers by October 1st than he does right now. I at least want to get to 2,000 before the end of Labor Day weekend. I'm, I'm about 18, 26, I think. All right, mm. 2,000 by the end of Labor Day weekend. Make it happen for Bielik. Tell your friends. Uh, find us on cleveland.com slash OSU. You can send us questions on Twitter. You can uh, – that's probably the best way to do it. Um, so thanks for listening. Hey, you know what we haven't asked for recently? And I wanted to make this podcast an hour and 45 minutes. Reviews. Tell them what the, we need the reviews on, oh, the, yeah, on yeah. iTunes. Oh, please, yeah. Please, uh, please review on iTunes, uh, star rating. Uh, we encourage you to be honest. It would be great if you didn't give us one star. Some people have. Whatever. That comes to the territory. Mostly for ice chewing and bad sound, though. Yeah, and I got, uh, yeah, and one other one where someone misunderstood what I was talking about and kind of ripped me. For real? Yeah, we were talking about Tyreek Smith and the shirt that he wore at Ohio State's camp. Uh-huh. And I think I got misunderstood with what I was saying, which is fine. But Oh, that was some social stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they were not happy about that. And, and I gave a one star. One star, on one star, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Really? Yeah. You make people angry. Well, you're, you're, a very controversial person. You are. That's yeah. the number one thing I would say about you. <laughs> um, all right, so thank you for the reviews. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reading. For Tim Bielik and Bill Landis, I'm Douglas Maurice. That was our Ohio State season preview, and that was Buckeye Talk.